Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Try Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost, built for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, incredible load times, and 24-7 WordPress priority support, your sites will be lightning fast with global reach. And with Bluehost Cloud, your sites can handle surges in traffic no matter how big. Plus, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. Get started now at Bluehost.com. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing, carefully consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at globalxetfs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Co. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. On March 4th, 2016, 20-year-old engineering student Neil Fashion's entire life changed in an instant. After brushing off a handful of troublesome symptoms, like dizziness and double vision, Neil suddenly found himself struggling with simple tasks like writing and even swallowing. His doctors ordered an MRI and discovered Neil was suffering from a rare form of brain cancer, diffuse intrinsic pontine glioma, or DIPG. The tumor on his brain stem was incurable, and Neil was given a year to live. Refusing to go down without a fight, Neil and his parents thrust themselves into the search for a cure, digging deep into alternative and experimental treatments, eventually consulting the Brzezinski Clinic. The Texas-based clinic focuses on anti-neoplaston therapy, treating cancer with peptides derived from urine. With little to lose, Neil and his family flew to Houston. Neil had a catheter inserted into his chest to deliver anti-neoplaston therapy, that is urine, every four hours on the dot. He received treatment for exactly one day before the FDA stepped in, immediately ordering the treatments to stop. Citing the possible dangerous side effects of the Brzezinski Clinic's untested and unapproved therapies, The FDA feared the treatment might actually do more harm than good. But with only a year left to live, Neil couldn't help but wonder, what did he have to lose? And why would the FDA stop a terminally ill patient from trying an untested treatment that could, at worst, kill them faster, and at best, provide a miracle? Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a ParCast original. Every Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. 
sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you are listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. You can listen to previous episodes of Conspiracy Theories, as well as all of Parcast's other shows on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we're talking about the FDA, Big Pharma, and the cure for cancer. Last week, we talked about the FDA's relationship to American pharmaceutical companies and how these two entities strive to discover a treatment that can eradicate cancer once and for all. This week, we'll explore some conspiracy theories surrounding the complicated topic. Conspiracy theory number one. A cure for cancer has already been discovered, but Big Pharma coerces the FDA to keep it secret so they can continue selling expensive cancer management drugs. Conspiracy theory number two. Rich, elite families like the Rockefellers manipulate the FDA into keeping possible cures for cancer quiet so they can carry out their depopulation agenda. And conspiracy theory number three, quote-unquote charitable organizations like Susan G. Komen actually profit off cancer patients and use their power to suppress a cure for cancer so that they can continue making money from donations. After Neil Fashion's clinical trial at the Brzezinski Clinic was shut down by the FDA, his family sued the government agency for the ability to resume treatments. Staring down the barrel of a highly publicized lawsuit, the FDA eventually relented and allowed Neil to return to the clinic. This wasn't the first time the FDA tangled with the Brzezinski Clinic, as we discussed last week, and it probably won't be the last. And it's cases like these cases where a patient's facing the end of their life that gives some people pause, wondering why the FDA would want to halt experimental treatments. As we mentioned last week, the anti-neoplaston therapy used by the Brzezinski Clinic can actually do more harm than good, especially for cancer patients whose bodies are already weakened. That's why the FDA insists on shutting it down. But if a patient's cancer is certain to kill them anyway, How could an unapproved treatment possibly make things worse? Is the FDA truly concerned about keeping these patients from harm? Or do they have another motivation to deny access to these controversial therapies? Our first theory is the most well-known conspiracy theory surrounding the cure for cancer. Specifically, that a cure already exists and is hidden from the public. Currently, treatment and management for most, if not all, cancers requires a combination of different drugs, radiation, and other treatments. Pharmaceutical companies make money from each treatment for each patient. If cancer were suddenly curable with a single medicine, Big Pharma would stand to lose millions, if not billions, of dollars in revenue every year. In terms of cold, hard cash, that seems to make sense. Not so fast. It turns out the math doesn't actually add up. But there is an intriguing reason why this conspiracy theory exists. 
Let's go back to the beginning and explore how it came to be. As we talked about last week, the FDA and Big Pharma haven't exactly been scandal-free entities. While the FDA has been criticized for taking too long to approve life-saving drugs, or conversely, approving dangerous drugs without enough testing, those scandals pale in comparison to the kinds of corruption Big Pharma has been accused of. For example, in 1999, 52-year-old Darlene Coker, a massage therapist and mother in small-town Texas, sued the powerhouse pharmaceutical company Johnson & Johnson, claiming one of their products was responsible for her mesothelioma. Mesothelioma is a rare type of cancer affecting the connective tissues around the lungs, heart, and abdomen. It typically develops when a person is exposed to asbestos. Tiny asbestos fibers embed themselves in the tissue, triggering abnormal and aggressive cell growth. Mesothelioma is primarily diagnosed in mine workers, or in builders whose industries used asbestos before its dangers were understood. So how did a middle-aged mom with no known asbestos exposure find herself diagnosed with such an illness? Personal injury lawyer Herschel Hobson had a good idea of the culprit, talcum powder. Talc and asbestos are often found occurring alongside each other in nature. It's very possible that during the process of mining talc, which is otherwise harmless, asbestos can easily make its way into the product as well. Talcum powder has been used for years to keep babies' skin soft and dry, as well as for adult skin care. If you've ever used it, you know that even the smallest application sends hundreds of thousands of particles into the air. It's easy to breathe in. And it's a product that Darlene Coker had used on her two daughters and herself for as long as she could remember. Claiming that the undisclosed presence of asbestos in its talcum powder had caused her mesothelioma, Darlene sued Johnson & Johnson for damages. Johnson & Johnson denied the claim, stating that their talcum powder was asbestos-free. They were able to avoid turning over their internal company test records to the court, and without those test records, Darlene didn't have a case. But 20 years later, those exact test records would come to light. In 2018, lawyers brought a class action lawsuit against Johnson & Johnson, with tens of thousands of plaintiffs claiming that talcum powder caused their mesothelioma and ovarian cancer diagnoses. Unfortunately, Darlene died before this lawsuit was filed, but her initial case laid the groundwork. Facing 11,700 plaintiffs, Johnson & Johnson was now compelled to release the testing records they'd covered up the first time around. Here's an interview with one of the plaintiffs, Gail Ingham. The money really isn't the important part. It's for women to find out what was in talc and get it off there. And that maybe one or more will never have to go through this or you won't put it on your babies. Amongst the test reports indicating their products were safe, there were also a number of reports that for many years, from at least 1971 to 2000, Johnson & Johnson's talcum powder sometimes tested positive for asbestos. What's more, Johnson & Johnson purposely hid those findings from the FDA and the public at large. To this day, 
Even with these records revealed to the public, Johnson & Johnson maintains that their products are safe and asbestos-free, and that any money they've paid out to plaintiffs was the result of confused juries, junk science, and ambulance-chasing lawyers. Well, understandably, many people think Johnson & Johnson hid those damning findings in order to protect their bottom line. If word got out that one of their products contained cancer-causing asbestos, the company's revenue would plummet. It's not just Johnson & Johnson that's been caught hiding deadly information from the public. More recently, big pharma giant Purdue was caught working with a consulting firm to put a positive spin on their potentially dangerous opioids like OxyContin. They've also worked to kill stories about the overdose deaths associated with their drugs. In January 2019, Massachusetts Attorney General Maura Healy took Purdue's owners to court, claiming that the company engaged in deception and misconduct to push doctors to overprescribe their opioids. And when the addictions and overdoses started piling up, the company laid out plans to get into the opioid addiction treatment market. Purdue's internal documents called it an end-to-end -end pain treatment. That is, sell the opioids, then sell the cure to the opioid addiction. Here's Maura Healy speaking about the lawsuit. Purdue misled doctors, patients, and the public about the real risks of their dangerous opioids, including OxyContin. We also found that they did this. They did this with the oversight and direction of 16 current and former executives and directors named in our complaint. After hearing these stories, it's impossible to deny that Johnson & Johnson and Purdue, two of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the U.S., have intentionally put consumers at risk for the sake of keeping sales figures up. It's not much of a logical leap to wonder if other companies are also putting profits before lives, or if the deception extends to other health problems, like allowing people not only to contract cancer, but to die from it. When it comes to actual scientific evidence, we don't have a lot to go on to prove that Big Pharma is actively working to keep cancer patients sick. There's even less proof that the FDA is involved in such a con, if it does actually exist. But many conspiracy theorists believe that the lack of scientific evidence is a kind of evidence on its own. If the regulators responsible for overseeing Big Pharma are also involved in their scheme to keep patients sick, then it wouldn't make any sense for them to release findings pointing to their culpability. In fact, they would try to quash any evidence that might paint them in a negative light and label any proof of their wrongdoings as junk, like Johnson & Johnson did after the asbestos scandal. So exactly what kind of evidence is Big Pharma trying to hide? And how can we uncover it? Up next, we'll find out eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. 
behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Now, back to the story. Given the clear-cut evidence that Big Pharma has hidden evidence of their potentially dangerous products from the public, it's not much of a stretch to worry what else they might be hiding. And with the incredible advancements in medical technology over the last 50 years, from prosthetics that respond to nerve impulses, to artificial organs, to the eradication of tuberculosis, some people are still scratching their heads over how a disease as common as cancer could still be incurable. Dr. Vincent DeVita, former director of the Yale Cancer Center and former president of the American Cancer Society, has an answer. In his 2015 book, The Death of Cancer, he writes, quote, At this date, we are not limited by the science. We are limited by our ability to make good use of the information and treatments we already have. Only bureaucracy stands between cancer the killer and cancer the chronic but survivable illness. While the FDA has a responsibility to ensure they don't approve any treatments that might be worse than the disease itself, Dr. DeVita argues that when it comes to terminal illnesses like cancer, it doesn't make sense for the FDA to regulate those drugs with the same intense scrutiny. If a cancer patient is willing to test an experimental drug on themselves, Dr. DeVita believes they should be allowed to do so. At worst, an already dying person dies sooner than expected. At best, the experimental treatment could succeed and save their life. Dr. DeVita writes, quote, People are dying not because drugs don't exist, but because they can't get them, end quote. He cites PLX4032, a melanoma drug slated for trial in 2008. During initial trials, this new drug resulted in higher rates of remission for a previously fatal disease, clearly indicating that it was a superior treatment than any drugs used in the past. But strangely, in the middle of the trials, the FDA suddenly ordered a comparison trial, testing this new drug against an old one to measure its success. While a comparison trial seems like a standard step to take, Dr. DeVita called the move both absurd and unethical. PLX was achieving remission in patients, which had never been done before. A comparison trial wasn't necessary to understand that. What's more, the trial required that half the patients in the study be given the older, less effective drug simply for the sake of recording some data. This put actual patients' lives at risk. This comparison trial also lengthened the amount of time it took for PLX to get approved. Had the FDA simply accepted the existing research stating that PLX resulted in remission, the drug would have been ready for approval immediately. Instead, it took another three years for the drug to reach the market. Dr. DeVita argues that if cancer patients are already dying, Preventing access to effective, though less tested, drugs does more harm than good. From his perspective, it looks like the FDA is willing to put procedure ahead of patients' lives. But is this something more than bureaucratic inefficiency? Is the FDA actually trying to stop successful treatments from reaching the public? 
And that brings us back to the math. Last week, we mentioned that the global oncology market is on track to hit $200 billion per year very soon. This number references the amount patients spend on various cancer drugs and treatments. The overall global healthcare market is many times that, somewhere around $7 trillion annually. Big Pharma has lots to lose if cancer were suddenly eradicated. Those billions of dollars per year would immediately dry up. But in reality, it doesn't quite work like that. If a true cure for cancer were discovered, all of those billions of dollars would immediately shift over to that miracle drug, and then some. The first company to come out with a cure would be able to patent it, sell their drug exclusively at whatever price they wanted, and corner the entire oncology market. In fact, a 2006 study published in the Journal of Political Economy estimated that a true cure for cancer would be worth upwards of $50 trillion, 250 times the current annual oncology spending. So the math doesn't actually add up. And we should also consider the fact that many pharmaceutical researchers aren't for-profit companies to begin with, like university researchers or nonprofits like the American Cancer Society. Those groups don't necessarily operate under an economic incentive, and it would be pretty difficult for Big Pharma or the FDA to bribe everyone involved into hushing up the cure. It's also worth noting that the FDA only handles drug approvals in the U.S. They have no control over what's researched, discovered, or approved for use in other countries. If scientists elsewhere discovered a cure for cancer, the FDA wouldn't be able to keep it quiet, even if they wanted to. So the fact that cancer isn't curable in Canada or China or anywhere else would indicate that no cure currently exists, or at least, if someone is suppressing it, it's not the FDA. Other countries also don't spend nearly the same amount of money on healthcare as we do. As we noted earlier, the U.S. makes up almost half the spending in the entire global cancer market. It stands to reason that pharmaceutical companies in other countries have a lot less clout than U.S.-based Big Pharma does, and they wouldn't be able to apply the same amount of pressure to keep a cure quiet. Overall, I give this conspiracy theory a 3 out of 10. There's plenty of evidence that the FDA doesn't always act in the public's best interest, and that sometimes pharmaceutical companies put their profits ahead of safety. But when it comes down to pure dollars and cents, it doesn't benefit either organization to try and keep a cancer cure off the market. But what if the amount of money that could be generated from a cure didn't matter? What if there was another organization out there with a more nefarious goal than simple U.S. dollars? And that brings us to conspiracy theory number two. Are rich, elite families like the Rockefellers manipulating the FDA into keeping a cancer cure quiet, or even intentionally causing cancer in the general public to carry out their depopulation agenda? The Rockefeller family is one of the wealthiest families in the world, having initially made their fortune via John D. and William Rockefeller's company, Standard Oil, in the 1800s. After Standard Oil, the family expanded their enterprises to include banking, politics, and real estate. 
it's difficult to convey just how wealthy the Rockefeller family really is. Were John D. Rockefeller alive today, his net worth would be $340 billion, about twice the net worth of Jeff Bezos, the wealthiest person in the world in 2019. It's almost impossible to calculate how much money the Rockefeller family has today, given the sheer number of family members and the business enterprises they control, but it's safe to say that they're still one of the world's largest fortunes. During the second half of the 20th century, David Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller's grandson, was the public face of the family. A banker and businessman, David was under constant public scrutiny throughout his life for his participation in mysterious organizations such as the Bilderberg Group and the Trilateral Commission. Both of these organizations are small groups of wealthy, powerful figures who get together to discuss problems facing humanity. Given their secretive and exclusive nature, these groups have been at the center of a number of conspiracy theories throughout the years, most notably that they're conspiring to bring about a new world order, a centralized government in which a single small group controls the entire globe, subjecting everyone to slavery and a smaller population is easier to control. As frequent listeners may recall from our episodes on the New World Order and the Illuminati, conspiracy theorists believe wealthy elites attempt to cull the world population by creating global wars, manipulating the economy, and spreading diseases throughout highly populated areas, or perhaps by suppressing the cure for cancer. David Rockefeller himself has acknowledged his goal of instituting a new world order. In his 2003 memoir, he wrote, quote, Ideological extremists at either end of the political spectrum have seized upon well-publicized incidents to attack the Rockefeller family for the inordinate influence they claim we wield. Some even believe we are part of a secret cabal working against the best interest of the United States conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global structure. One world, if you will. If that is the charge, I stand guilty and I am proud of it. While many took this quote as a direct admission that the Rockefellers were involved in a New World Order plot, a more likely interpretation is that David was taking a sarcastic jab at the characterization of his philanthropic work as evil or self-serving. As far as population control, this is what David Rockefeller actually had to say about the matter. One of these positions holds the view that family planning should be banned completely. The second justifies virtually all government policies, including those that use coercive means to limit population growth. Mm, that sounds like something a man who's hiding a secret depopulation agenda would say or like something a genuine philanthropist would say. We may never be able to prove or disprove David Rockefeller's personal intentions, but there is some evidence to support the idea that the Rockefellers have been involved in creating massive public health crises. They've been accused of everything from orchestrating black market organ donations to inventing the Zika virus. When the World Health Organization announced the Zika outbreak in 2016, many people began to panic. The virus, which is spread through mosquito bites, sexual contact, and blood transfusions, causes symptoms like fever, joint pain, 
headaches, rash, and microcephaly in infants born to infected mothers. For a few years, the general public was warned to take extra precautions against mosquito bites and to avoid pregnancy if infected. While Zika virus rarely results in death, its effects can be devastating, especially for infants. And given how suddenly it seemed to appear on the world stage, conspiracy theorists immediately jumped on the idea that the Zika virus outbreak was no accident. Before long, those same theorists discovered that the Zika virus actually was manufactured, and it was patented by the Rockefeller family. That's not entirely accurate. Zika could be traced back to the Rockefeller Foundation, a private foundation established in 1913 to, according to their mission statement, quote, improve the well-being of humanity around the world, end quote. In 1947, the Rockefeller Foundation Virus Research Institute isolated the Zika virus, which already existed naturally, through a series of experiments in Uganda. The foundation then provided a sample of the virus to the American Type Culture Collection, or ATTC, a nonprofit that preserves and sells microorganisms for research purposes. However, there's no indication that the Rockefellers ever have filed a patent for the Zika virus. They were simply the first foundation to identify it. Whether or not the Zika virus is actually patented, you can visit the ATTC website and see for yourself that a sample of the Zika virus, ATTC VR-84, is available for purchase for about $600 a pop. But in order to purchase the virus, you need to be a member of a research facility or a nonprofit, which only further supports the Rockefeller Foundation's claim that their ownership of the virus is only for scientific research purposes. But if they admit they discovered the virus and are willing to sell it to anyone with research credentials, who's to say the Rockefeller family itself wasn't behind the outbreak? And they clearly have the means to unleash the Zika virus into the world, and they might have the motivation as well, either to further their secret depopulation agenda or to make money off the samples they're selling through the ATTC. But there's no evidence the 2016 Zika outbreak was anything more than a tragic coincidence. Officially, the outbreak started with a tourist contracting the illness in French Polynesia and then traveling to Brazil where they were bitten by a mosquito, which then bit more people and transmitted the virus from there. More importantly, if the Zika virus were part of a depopulation agenda, it wouldn't be a smart move, as Zika rarely kills anyone it infects. In that case, let's turn our focus back to a more fatal disease cancer. If you believe in the Rockefeller depopulation agenda, this conspiracy makes perfect sense. The cancer kills about 20,000 people per day worldwide, racking up almost 8 million deaths per year. And the easiest way to decimate the world population is by simply sitting back and letting cancer run its course. Of course, this theory relies on the assumption that a cure for cancer exists and the Rockefellers have enough money to pressure the FDA and Big Pharma into keeping it off the market. As we just discussed in theory number one, it's highly unlikely that anyone, Rockefeller or not, 
would be able to coerce the entire global medical community into hushing up something so groundbreaking and so potentially profitable. But the Rockefellers have something more than money. If the New World Order is really in the works, they could bribe scientists and big pharma executives with the promise of power in the new global government, or with the threat of imminent death if they don't obey. This is one of those claims that's impossible to prove or disprove. But at the root of it, there's absolutely no evidence to support the idea that a cure for cancer exists or that a shadowy cabal is threatening global oncology researchers into silence. There are claims from conspiracy theorists that no Rockefeller has ever died of cancer. And given the size of the family, that does seem strange. But the act of not dying of cancer isn't enough evidence to prove that the Rockefellers are hoarding the cure. As an extremely wealthy and powerful family, they have access to top-of-the-line medical care and guidance, which may have something to do with their impeccable health. Also, some forms of cancer, like breast and prostate cancer, are linked to hereditary genetic mutations. If no one in the family carries the genes for those cancers, they'd naturally be less likely to develop them. Some people also believe the Rockefellers could intentionally be causing cancer in the general public in order to profit off of cancer treatments while withholding an actual cure. Or perhaps they're spreading cancer through a virus similar to the Zika virus. Again, there's no scientific proof backing up these claims. There are viruses that can lead to certain types of cancer. For example, HIV is known to cause a skin cancer called Kaposi's sarcoma. But if the Rockefeller family has a hold on a secret virus that's spreading cancer to the masses, they're doing an excellent job of keeping it under wraps. I can only give this conspiracy theory a two out of 10. While it's certainly possible that the extremely wealthy have hidden agendas, we just don't have any hard proof. And we certainly don't have any proof that the Rockefeller family has a cure for cancer much less that they're purposely hiding it in order to cull the world population. It's also worth mentioning that the world population currently hovers around 7.5 billion people. While cancer is the second leading cause of death globally, killing 9.6 million people in 2018, that barely makes a dent in the total population. If the wealthy elites are trying to depopulate the planet, they're not doing a very good job. We have one conspiracy theory left to discuss, and this one pins the blame on an extremely unlikely source. Not big pharma, not wealthy elites, but anti-cancer charities. Coming up, we'll dig into the evidence. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. 
CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist recommended facial moisturizer brand. Now, back to the story. Our third and final conspiracy theory is that nonprofit or charitable organizations like Susan G. Komen and the Livestrong Foundation actually profit off cancer patients and therefore exert their power to suppress any cures for cancer so that they can continue making money off of donations. As we mentioned before, a large portion of cancer treatment and prevention research is conducted by nonprofits, non-business entities dedicated to particular causes. Nonprofits don't operate in the same way regular businesses do. Any revenue they make from their various business activities is tax exempt, and any profit they make is generally put towards its overall goal rather than given back to shareholders. That isn't to say that nonprofits are simply charities. Some of the largest nonprofits are billion dollar companies, subsidized by public donations, government grants, sales, and merchandising. And for this reason, some nonprofits find themselves under public scrutiny, with many people questioning their charitable motives. Nonprofits, just like any other business or organization, are susceptible to scandals and corruption. You might recall the very public 2009 firing of Feed the Children founder and president, Larry Jones. Feed the Children was founded in 1979 with a focus on ending childhood hunger. Operating mainly through donations, Feed the Children distributes food, education supplies, and disaster relief around the world. While its goals are noble, Jones himself was very much not. During his 30 years as president of Feed the Children, Jones was accused of misappropriating and mismanaging funds, allowing executive staff to take donated goods for themselves, pressuring the media into holding back negative stories about Jones and his family, and overseeing forgery on financial statements. The final straw came in 2009, when Jones admitted that he'd wiretapped the Feed the Children offices to secretly record conversations he had with employees. The nonprofit eventually sued him for taking kickbacks from vendors, giving himself unauthorized raises, misusing charity funds, and even storing pornography in his office. During Jones's tenure, charity watchdogs rated Feed the Children poorly but that didn't prevent the organization from raking in millions of dollars in donations and grants, some of which, unfortunately, went towards Jones' bad behavior. Larry Jones and Feed the Children is only one example of nonprofit corruption. As another example, in 2018, Oxfam, a global nonprofit focused on poverty alleviation, was accused of ignoring warnings that some of their aid workers were using funds to hire sex workers and were sexually abusing teenage volunteers. Across the country, nonprofits, big and small, have been accused of taking donations meant for worthy causes and using them to pad the pockets of the owners. Part of the problem is that nonprofits aren't regulated the same way that for profit businesses are so it can often take much longer for corruption to come to light. And in some cases, with no one scrutinizing the business, it never does. Which brings us to Susan G. Komen, the largest and most well-funded breast cancer nonprofit in the U.S. 
Komen is behind the pink gloves you'll see NFL players don during the month of October. They're also behind pink YoPlay lids with the Save the Lids to Save Lives program. And you've probably seen them partner with huge for-profit companies like Delta Airlines and Bank of America. From 1982 to 2010, Komen spent $1.5 billion on their activities, and for years it was considered one of the most trusted nonprofit organizations in America. The president of Susan G. Komen for the Cure is resigning. Liz Thompson will leave next month. The organization's founder and chief executive, Nancy Brinker, will move away from day-to-day -day management to focus more on fundraising and strategic planning. In 2012, the Susan G. Komen Foundation suddenly announced it would no longer fund breast cancer screening services at Planned Parenthood locations. While Komen defended their decision as a reaction to Planned Parenthood falling under congressional investigation, some people believed that anti-abortion lobbyists had targeted Komen, and the organization folded. The president of Planned Parenthood at the time, Cecile Richards, stated, quote, we are alarmed and saddened that the Susan G. Komen for the Cure Foundation appears to have succumbed to political pressure. There was immediate pushback from the public, and the fallout caused the nonprofit to make a 180. Komen renewed its funding for Planned Parenthood's breast cancer screenings, but the momentary lapse caused even staunch supporters to give the organization a second look. Since then, Komen has faced criticism over its sky-high executive salaries, with the last two CEOs taking in over half a million dollars each per year. This had conspiracy theorists wondering if perhaps Komen's ultimate goal wasn't the eradication of cancer, but raking in money. Charity watchdogs started rating Komen less and less favorably, and information began spreading across the internet alleging that Komen misused its funds. Some also accused the charity of not actually doing anything to advance breast cancer research. A rumor spread that Komen only spent 20% of its revenue on research, with the rest lining the pockets of the board. While the 20% figure is true, an additional 60% was spent on public health education, screening services, and treatment services. But the damage was done. Donation revenue dropped as much as 80% between 2012 and 2017. Warranted or not, Komen's reputation was tarnished, and conspiracy theorists pounced on the idea that the entire nonprofit was just a front for making money. And naturally, Komen would have an incentive to stymie any advancements in curing cancer, or else their wealth would dry up. It's important for us to note that there isn't any credible evidence that Komen or any other cancer-related nonprofit has ever tried to quash any research into cancer. We should also point out that the founder and former CEO of Komen, Nancy Brinker, founded the charity in memory of her late sister, Susan Komen, who died of breast cancer at the age of 36. It's incredibly cynical to accuse someone who's built a nonprofit empire in memory of her late sister working to hush up a cure for cancer. Even so, Komen has also been criticized for pinkwashing, referring to their extensive pink merchandising, the oversaturation of their pink ribbon applied to everything from yogurt to bumper stickers has left a bad taste in some donors' mouths. 
To some people, it looks like an organization casting an indiscriminate net to increase sales figures rather than to fund research. Komen does receive money from corporate sponsorships. In 2016, it was estimated that the nonprofit was receiving over $55 million a year from these merchandising deals and corporate sponsors. Most of that money goes back into research, advocacy, and awareness campaigns. But some critics claim that these sponsorships benefit the companies and Komen more than they benefit breast cancer research. For example, in 2002, American Express debuted a Charge for a Cure campaign, in which they claim they would donate a dollar to Komen for every transaction made with their cards. Upon further research, it was revealed that Amex only donated one penny for every qualifying transaction. It's accusations like these that lead some critics to accuse Komen and its corporate partners of focusing on marketing and profits instead of finding a cure. But there's still one more major issue to discuss. Do charitable nonprofits have the power to thwart a cure for cancer, even if they wanted to? Well, we're back to the same issue we discussed in theories one and two. We've already decided that the FDA, Big Pharma, and the Rockefeller family probably don't have the reach to prevent a cure for cancer from coming to light. And by that logic, we have to assume that the Susan G. Komen Foundation doesn't either. Beyond any discussion of corruption or shady motives, it just isn't realistic to say that a nonprofit organization, no matter how big or well-connected, could single-handedly stop all the world's scientists from coming forward with a cure for cancer. At the absolute worst, I'd say that Komen makes less progress toward curing cancer than they lead the public to believe, but their advocacy and awareness campaigns still do more good than harm. Overall, on a scale of 1 to 10, I give this theory a 2 out of 10. While there isn't evidence cancer nonprofits have ever tried to cover up a cancer cure in order to protect their revenue, there are some scandals that may give the average person pause the next time they consider making a donation. Cancer is an incredibly complicated topic. The disease can take dozens of different forms, all with different symptoms, and all requiring different kinds of treatment. Add to that the complicated nature of the FDA's drug approval process and its complicated ties to Big Pharma, and it can be difficult to figure out what's fact and what's fiction. And given the devastating nature of cancer and the great strides modern medicine has made in the last 50 years, it can seem unbelievable that the disease is still around. For some, it's easier to believe there are evil forces at play rather than face the reality that medicine still isn't perfect. In the end, it just doesn't make financial sense for either Big Pharma or the FDA to try and prevent the cure for cancer from making its way into the public. There's also simply not enough evidence that any powerful family even the Rockefellers, is hoarding the secret cure for themselves. And while nonprofits may make some missteps, it stretches the imagination to think that they have the nefarious motives and the global influence to thwart a cancer cure from coming out. We can probably take Susan G. Komen, Livestrong, and the American Cancer Society at their word that they'd like to see a cure just as much as the rest of us. Overall, we believe the official story. 
The FDA and Big Pharma, while definitely plagued by scandals and corruption, have all the incentive to work together to find a cure for cancer. Given the current scientific evidence, it's unlikely that we'll ever find a miracle drug that can fully eradicate the illness. But for the sake of humanity and for the sake of their profits, independent researchers and pharmaceutical companies are moving us in the right direction. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back Wednesday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Conspiracy Theories, as well as all of ParCast's other shows, on Spotify or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Andy Waits, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Liebeskind. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire. Conspiracy Theories is written by Kayla Westergaard-Dobson and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. 